0: We're finishing up our series today in the book of Philippians. We're concluding it. And uh, this series we've been walking through is to live as Christ. And Andrew began uh, at the beginning of June laying the foundation was his first message. And he, and he walked us through uh, that the foundation in Philippians is to live as Christ and to die as gain. And then he went on to lay out five sub-themes or, or footings that he called that were uh, patterns, uh, partnerships, progress, perseverance, and prayer in the Christian life. And then over the last seven weeks, uh, Andrew and Andy and Bob and Grant all built upon that foundation, really the structure of the book of Philippians and exposited for us, and that brings us to where we are today. Well, this morning I'm going to change up the building imagery a little bit to, to something else that has a foundation, and, and that is a, a fruit tree. Now, we don't call its foundation a foundation. We call it roots. And the roots' uh, role is to dive down deep, to to bring up minerals, and to provide stability for a tree. And it has to have... In order for a fruit tree to produce fruit, it has to meet just some very basic uh, requirements. And that, you know, like l- light, water, it needs good soil, it needs good temperature, it, it needs uh, flowers on the tree. And those flowers, they need to be pollinated in order for there to be f- fruit. But once you have all those elements, what happens is then the flower will bear fruit. Well, the Bible talks about our lives, our Christian lives, and it uses this imagery of the tree often. Uh, uh, Psalm 1-3 talks about the blessed man. It it says, he he is like a tree planted by streams of waters. And it, it says, that yields its fruit in season and its leaves does not wither. Jesus in John 15, he doesn't say he's a fruit tree but he does say he's a vine and he says if if you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for a part from me you can do nothing. And so by grace through faith we are rooted in Christ and we see that by being rooted in him meeting the proper basic requirements in order for us to produce fruit out of that out of our our rootedness in Christ and our relationship with Christ we bear fruit. And up into, this, up into this point in this book, you've heard rich doctrinal truths. You've heard what it looks like to live as Christ. You've, you've seen, we've heard what it looks like to be an obedient servant in Christ. We've learned what it looks like to stand in true righteousness. We've learned what it looks like to, to stand firm in the midst of, of troubled times. And, and when you hold all of those things together... What it produces is what I think we're going to see in this text. What it produces is these fruitful patterns of the Christian life that Paul and the church of Philippi are going to model for us, what it looks like when our root system is in Jesus. So pattern number one that I want us to see this morning is gratitude. Paul begins in in verse 10a I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He always this this whole letter he's rejoicing in the Lord. He's he's filled with great joy and and you would think if you read this letter his circumstances are pretty good. And then you get to thinking he's he's in prison. He's chained to Roman guards. He's in Caesar's household, waiting trial to see if they're going to take his life or not. He's, he has horrible circumstances, yet he is constantly joy-filled and rejoicing in the Lord. And Paul does this often, but he's just he's trusting in God's provisions in his life he's seen what what God has done in his life and he knows and he trusts in what God is going to do now in his life and, and and provisions we 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 use that word providence but we don't explain it I don't think very often providence is is simply that God sees to it beforehand it's more than God knows about it beforehand it's that he Orders our circumstances. He, he orders the situations in our lives. He, he does this in advance to bring about his good will and purpose. And if you uh, think about Paul's life and what he writes in his letters, he, he always says stuff like, I long to go preach in Rome. And here he is in Rome, not in the circumstances he thought But he is preaching in Rome. God has seen to it that these people, these Roman guards, this Caesar's household, were going to hear the gospel. And some of them would be saved. And so in that, Paul rejoices. He rejoices in the Lord that God is bringing about his plan. And that people who would not likely hear the gospel from other people are now chained to a guy who won't shut up about it. And so it's a wonderful blessing that, that Paul is trusting in God's provision. So, A, we, Paul is saying his gratitude is rooted in the Lord. And B, I already explained that point. I told you I was going to do better, Andrew, but I didn't. B, Paul's gratitude is rooted in the Philippians' commitment to care. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's gratitude. As as it's rooted in the Lord, it's triggered by the Philippians' commitment to keep caring for him. Matter of fact, he later said in the text, as you heard Andy read, that they were the only church to keep that uh, care for him. And 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 what's going on here? This word revived or or renewed in some of your translations. It's a horticulture word. It, it, it's like a when a tree goes dormant in the winter, and then in the spring it buds anew. This is, this is kind of the word Paul is using to picture the Philippians' commitment to him. For whatever reason, they didn't have the opportunity to show him care, whether some people say that's because they were poor and didn't have the money. Some people say uh, that they didn't know where Paul was. He was in a prison somewhere. They didn't have GPS. For whatever reason it is, they still cared for him. They just didn't have the opportunity to show it. And now Paul's saying, now you've had that opportunity. Now that, that tree is budding anew, and you showed that care for me. And in that, I am extremely grateful And when I think about patterns in the Christian life, and I think about gratitude specifically, one of the things that we lack in America and in the church and in myself personally, more than any other fruit, is is probably gratitude. We live in one of the richest countries that, that has ever been. God has provided for us the gospel we, we get to worship freely And even though we have some restrictions now We're still here We're still worshiping We're in other places That's not allowed And we should be so grateful For all the many things That God has done in our life And we should trust Him Seeing what He's done in the past We should rely on His provisions That He's doing something good right now Even if we don't Quite see it, and like Paul would say, even if we're in prison, God is doing something good, and in that, we need to be grateful. And so, the first pattern I I want us to see is, is gratitude, and then the second pattern that I want us to see is contentment. If I was to ask everybody in this room, How's your contentment level? You would probably say, I could use a little bit more contentment. Now, some of you, you might be extremely content, but for the majority of people, they would probably say, I could use more contentment. And and Paul here is going to give us instructions. He's going to tell us the secret of contentment, and we need to pay attention. But he says, verse 11, Not that I am speaking in need, for I have learned, in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, or the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul um, First thing I want us to see, A, on your outline is Paul had to learn contentment. Contentment is learned. Paul didn't receive this in Acts 9 when he trusted in Jesus as Lord. He didn't all of a sudden just become content. He had to learn contentment. He says it twice in those verses. And for us, I think it should be a a sign of encouragement that there's hope. If the Apostle Paul had to learn contentment, and he did by the grace of God, then maybe you and I can learn contentment. But how did Paul learn the contentment? Because that's the, really the question we need to be trying to figure out is, Paul, how did you, you say you learned it, but, but how? And, and we know from his testimony, he did not learn it from getting the greatest education ever, sitting under uh, Rabbi Gamaliel, learning Judaism. He didn't get it there. He didn't get contentment from being a a Pharisee of Pharisees. We saw that in chapter 3. No, he got contentment from the, the school of Jesus Christ. He had two classes, the class of plenty, the class of poverty. And he learned a great deal from both. In the, gla- in the class of, of plenty or prosperity, he, he would be faced with the temptation of greed over and over again. And the, the question that, that would kind he would have to be asking himself is, is, Will I be satisfied with the things of this world, with material things, or will I be satisfied with the Lord? And knowing the Old Testament, probably Ecclesiastes 5.10 would pop in his head. And, and he would read the wise King Solomon's word that says, He who, who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And so Paul would learn a, a great deal of, of thinking about King Solomon and what he went through, and he would learn this from, from having plenty. But then he would also enter into the class of poverty, and he would be brought low, and Paul was brought low so often. Just, just one text I want us to look at is 1 Corinthians 4, through 13, and I could have picked a dozen texts, but he says, "...to this present hour..." We hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul knew what it meant to be brought low, so low that... He was the scum of the world. I think for the first time, we're just starting to feel a little bit of that here, aren't we? For so often in America, we've, we've been, to be Christian was a, a noble thing. It's just not that way anymore, is it? It's, we're becoming the scum of the world. And, and in that, for Paul, this is where he learned contentment. This is where he learned how to face imprisonment. This is where he learned how to live as Christ and to die as game. And we're called to learn contentment. And maybe during this time, uh, God is, is showing us something and, and, and trying to teach us contentment. You know, and when, you're, when you're trying to learn contentment, you're, you're much more likely to find contentment when, when you're facing all kinds of various trials than when everything is going smoothly. Because when everything goes smoothly, we end up being tempted into relying on whatever that is, material, money, whatever. But when everything is going bad, that's when we, we can learn true what true gospel contentment is. And, and Paul here... He's learning these things. But, but, but actually, think about Jesus. Think about what Jesus said uh, to his disciples. He said, It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of the needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say that? Because the rich man relies on his riches instead of on Jesus. Maybe for us today, God is going to be removing our riches For his glory so that we might learn contentment, true contentment, not a false reality that we might praise him more and more. So A, contentment is learned and and B, contentment flows from Christ's supply. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? This verse is probably one of the most uh, misquoted and misapplied verses. Uh, what this verse is is not saying is like some supernatural feat. To use Grant's illustration, he talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, you're not going to be able to fly to the moon and shrink it with a shrink ray and bring it back. You can't do that through Christ who strengthens you. But what what he is saying in this moment. Is you can do all things that God has called you to do. If God calls you to abound. You can do that. And you can face that temptation of greed. If God calls you to be uh, brought low. You can do that through Christ's strength. Think of the picture of Christ laid out. in, in even Philippians 2. Where he humbled himself and, and entered into our world. Christ. Christ knows the very issues that you face in this world, the very challenges and temptations you face from being brought low. He will strengthen you through that time. And, 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 and then Paul, you know, when we take this moment we're in today, this COVID-19 We can all say many things about it. I can go into a political rant. I can go into any type of rant I want to because that just seems to be the nature of the situation. But I just want us to think through just a couple little questions in this moment and about contentment. Are you fearful of COVID-19? Because I would say there would be a, a handful of people or more that are truly wrestling with true anxiety and fear of this moment, and then I could I could flip that and say, are you not fearful of COVID nineteen, but you're you're fearful of what our world is becoming? And again, I could probably poll, and you would have a handful or a, a large group of people who who are really fearful of of that of what our world is becoming, and, and so. The question that comes out in this text and in being content is but are you trusting Christ in either one of those situations? Whether you're fearful of COVID-19 or you're not fearful but you're fearful of something else that's happening in this world. Are you trusting in Christ that that He is going to bring about good in this situation? And I pray that I pray that you are in these fruitful patterns that, that come out when we learn this contentment, when we learn how to be gra- gracious in these matters, will produce in us what I think the Church of Philippi is, is putting on display for us and what Paul is putting on display for us. So, pattern one, gratitude. Pattern two, uh, contentment. And then, pattern three, I want us to see true partnership. In verses 14 through 20. What does true partnership with other Christians look like? I hear that word thrown out all the time. We should partner. But what does true partnership according to to this text look like? And and first, A, Paul says true partners, they share in suffering through sacrificial giving. He said, yet it was kind of you to, to share my troubles and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving in you only Paul has considered the Philippians true partners this entire book he he repeats the word over and over in this letter and, in verse one or chapter one, verse three through five he he began this letter by saying, "I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day." Until now. But then he would go on to say in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What, what Paul is saying is true partners. We enter into relationship with it, one another. By sharing suffering sacrificially together. The word used is koinonia in the Greek. And, and there's a root word off that in this word used or translated here, share. It means to enter into affliction. It means to uh, partnership, fellowship. It means all of these other things. And, and usually when our American ears hear uh, partnership or fellowship, what comes to our mind? Well, we're Baptists, so we think first potlucks. That's what come to mind. Good old-fashioned fellowship. Or, or good uh, sharing a, a meal with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. And those things are a part of partnership. They're, they're a part of fellowship. But it goes, this word's much deeper. Just think of Paul when he wrote to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Christ Jesus will be persecuted so if we're the people who will be persecuted then what we're to do in partnership is to enter in to that partnership with one another to share that burden and Paul and Philippi show us how Paul's in prison for sharing the gospel the church of Philippi is poor, and they're sacrificially, the only church, sacrificially giving to Paul. And so they're sharing together, and that's why Paul calls them co-laborers. He, he doesn't treat them as consumers. He doesn't treat them as just customers. He considers them co-laborers. The picture is uh, rope holders. Uh, when I worked at the VA hospital... Down in this dark hole, there was a, uh, some electric wire, uh, some pretty major stuff. And there used to have to be a guy who would walk down in uh, this dark hole to fix all the electrical. And they would tie a rope to him, no joke, because if he got electrocuted, they had to have some way to pull him out of this hole. That's the picture here. Paul going into the darkness of the world going into the danger and and the flipping. He's saying, Philippi, you're my rope holders. You are those who are who are holding the rope in case something happens to me and you're provided for me in your commitment to care. You know, part of the reason this whole month, we've been taking a love offering for Belize. Um, because of COVID, our Belize trip got canceled. And uh, for now, at least, And um, we were not going to be able to go and share with them in the gospel. And we were, uh, we were, the mission team was pretty upset about that, but that was just kind of how it happened. But there became another opportunity. They, uh, again, because of COVID, were not able to afford one of their buildings. And they had to quit paying rent and they, they lost that building, that church. And that church building and. And uh, so the church was needing a place to meet and to gather. And they were going to build another structure. And so what our love offering is for is to go to that structure. We can't partner with them face-to-face like we want to. But we were given another opportunity to partner with them financially. And so that's why we've been asking you all. And I just want to commend you in all the giving that you've done there. We're, we're on pace uh, to meet the goal. We, we wanted a goal of $5,000. We're probably going to get pretty close to that. And I just praise God for that. And want to commend you. And very thankful for you all. Stepping up and sacrificially giving. During this time. But that's what true partnerships do. We share. We share in suffering. We share in suffering through sacrificial giving. And then B. We share in worship through picturing Christ. Paul, right after he says, It's good for you uh, to enter into affliction by giving to me, then says, uh, But the gift doesn't matter anyway. That's not what I was seeking. So he's kind of it seems like he's going back and forth, but what what he's really doing here is he's saying, But what I do seek for you, he says, I have received full payment and more. Verse 18. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he's saying that this this, uh, gift that you give is is something so much more than just a gift. He says it's a fragrant offering, it's a pleasing, it's pleasing to God, And, and the Wording he's using has an Old Testament kind of feel to it. When they would sacrifice, the pleasing aroma that would come from that sacrifice would satisfy uh, God for a time. Have y'all? I don't know what smells y'all like, but when you uh, you know you come out of winter and you uh, that kind of that first hot day and everybody's mowing their grass. And you start smelling the grass being cut and then that same day it seems like everybody fires up the grill on the same exact day and there's just this there's just this smell that that just in the air that's kind of the picture that's going on it's just this 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 pleasing aroma and Paul saying when you give sacrificially it's like that to God but he he goes on to say even deeper he says but it's also, it pictures Jesus Christ on the cross. Look at Ephesians 5, and, and you can kind of pull this out. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, says, Therefore, talking about walking in new life as Christians, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. To God, what well, Paul's saying when you give, when you tithe, even we should think about this. When we tithe in the right manner, Paul puts the highest valuable possible for our worship in the Lord in our tithing. He compares it to Christ, or not compare it to Christ, but he's pointing to Christ. He's saying it pictures how Christ sacrificed his own body for us on the cross. When we tithe, when we give to the love offering, when we do these things in a right heart, we're picturing Christ. We're, 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 uh, we're showing the world a picture of Christ. And, and this should be our thought every time we give. And, and we should take the, um, you know, sometimes I just write a check because I know I'm supposed to, right? Sometimes when I tithe, that's my heart behind it. And Paul's saying, please see the, the worshipful nature of giving. That my heart, not the amount, it don't matter if it's two pennies or if it's 2,000, it doesn't matter. It's not the amount, it's the heart behind it. And I need to work on that personally just as, as I give, I need to be thinking that this is, this is a loving picture, but it also should be a sacrifice. This should not just be something from the overflow. Oh, I got you know, a little money in my pocket. Uh, this should be from the overflow of our heart, that, that Christ died for us, meeting every need we had. And in that and out of that, that overflow we give. Not to earn salvation, but because we're saved, we give. And so, um, our this third pattern we see, uh, this this true pa- uh, partnership, learning how to uh, share in sacrifice and learning how to uh, share in, in worship with one another. And, but he goes on to say in this closing section, this last pattern in this text I want us to see is, encouragement. Paul writes greetings like this at the end of a lot of his letters, and it's easy for us to uh, pass over them, but, but he writes, "...Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household." The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And when Paul wrote this, I just picture this had to be such an encouragement to the church of Philippi. He begins this section with a, 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 a familial greeting. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And so he, he, he's picturing that, that, that if we are in Christ, then we have brothers and sisters all over the world. And we should be encouraged by that, but, but he doesn't stop there. He goes, the brothers who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you. And he's saying, all the saints with me greet you. And so picture this church is struggling, they're going through suffering Philippi, and they're getting this encouraging letter from Paul, and he's saying, hey, the church of Rome, they're thinking about you. They're praying for you. And, and so this, this would have been a great encouragement to them. But, but then he goes a little bit farther when he says, especially those of Caesar's household. Again, Paul is chained. You know, sometimes in the church, it, feels, it can feel really lonely in the world. We all live in the world, but and it can feel lonely being a Christian at your job place, at your schools, at different areas, wherever you go. And Paul here, I think, is in this encouragement, he's, he's, he's pointing out something that we need to catch. He's saying, do you remember Christ's words in Matthew 16 when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? He's imprisoned. He's chained to Roman guards and he's waiting trial to be executed and people are coming to know Christ. In the most unlikely of places, in Caesar's own household, people are being saved in Philippi should be encouraged. And we should be encouraged that around the world today, in the most unlikely of places, I don't even know where they're at, Christ is building His church. And we should, we should think about that and dwell on that. As you, as you think about the end of, of chapter 4, verses 8, where, where uh, Paul wrote, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know what's worthy of praise today? There are people coming to know Christ. Christ. All over the world. And for that, we need to rejoice. And there might be a person in here today who's coming to know Christ. And for that, we need to pray about and rejoice. So, so Paul, he, he gives this familial greeting. And then B, he gives this familial remembrance. And we need to remember this as well. This is all of grace. He ends it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace is unmerited favor. Christ did not have to send His Son to die for us. Christ did not have to to lay down His life, but He did. Out of God's great mercy and grace and love, He sent His Son to live the perfect life and to lay down that life and to die, paying our penalties of sin that was due to you and I. And this morning, as I, as I consider and I think about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think about the fruit tree and the, the fruit that should be produced in the Christian life, and as I examine myself, I, I call all of us to examine ourselves. I, I think we need to examine ourselves corporately. I think that's what the Church of Philippi represents here. And we need to examine ourselves individually. Are we growing in gratitude and contentment. And is that being lived out and shown in our partnerships? Who are we partnering with in the gospel to make sure that Jesus Christ is heard in, in, in Breckenridge County to the ends of the earth? And, and as we do that, it's easy to get bogged down by this world. But be encouraged and know that, that people are going to come to know Christ even through your, uh, your pitiful efforts at it. Because God is a good God who, who has a, a glorious gospel and all we need to do is to proclaim it. And, and then in that, I pray that as we proclaim it to one another and to the world, that we begin to grow in all these different patterns of contentment and gratitude and, and, and partnerships and, and encouragements. But there is a warning here. Or any of those who are not in Christ. You can never grow in any of these things. Apart from Christ. It only is by being rooted in Christ. That we can experience true gratitude. Now you might be able to experience some temporal pleasures. But they will fade in this earth. You might be able to experience some temporal contentment. But some circumstance is going to change. You might be able to even have some great relationships. But apart from Christ, they will fade. And I call you this morning and urge you, if you are not in Christ, that today, that you, by the Holy Spirit's grace, that you would see your sin for what it is. And that you would repent of that sin which means to turn away from it to to but to not just turn away from your sin see if an alcoholic just quits being an alcoholic then anger might just take its place so that's not repentance i'm not just asking you to give up your sin i'm asking you to turn from it and turn towards jesus christ because unless we're, our hearts are replaced by his we will never experience any of these things So I pray that for you this morning. And Grant's going to come and and close us out with a final hymn. And if you would like someone to talk to, maybe God is working on your life. I'd love to meet with you now or after or whenever you would like to meet. We can just sit down and and open up the gospel together and, and go through it. But with that being said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the grace and mercy that he has shown in, in dying for sinners who, who didn't deserve him to die for. Father, I thank you so much for, for what you uh, picture for us in, in the Apostle Paul's life and in, in the life of the church of Philippi. May, may those same fruits come out in our lives. May we grow in in gratitude and contentment with one another. May we grow in our partnerships and our partnerships that we're already in flourish greatly for your namesake, Lord. May we be encouraged by your gospel this morning. And may we uh, look to your son, Jesus, in everything we do as we go throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen.